this is episode four of the Think Data podcast in partnership with DataWorks. Um, really excited to welcome Zach to the episode here. He um, is someone who I've known for about 12, 18 months now and heads up data analytics for Pair Eyewear. They are a New York City based uh, direct to consumer startup, has gathered a lot of kind of media attention. Uh, and he was tasked, I think he was employee number one, uh, and was tasked with growing out his analytics team within that kind of modern data stack. So for everyone listening uh, and for those kind of budding kind of leaders, future leaders who are coming into an organization that have recently secured VC funding um, and have tasked with growing a best-in-class analytics team, I think they're probably no better person to uh, to speak with. So thanks for coming on, Zach. And yeah, if you can give us a bit of a, bit of a background to probably summarize why you're here today yeah really excited to be here alex um and of course always happy to to have a great conversation with you um so yeah my name is zach i uh, lead up data and analytics over at pair as alex mentioned um was employee number one on the data and analytics team um, looking to build that function out uh, a little background on myself before we talk about pair um you know, I come from a background in analytics and operations. Um, and so over the course of my career, I've really focused on how do we bring data and analytics into different areas of the business? Um, and for me, the passion really came in in the operations management space. Um, prior to starting a pair, I was over at Bombas uh, for about three years, uh, working really early on in their data and analytics team. Uh, helping to grow that function. Um, and while I was at Bombas, uh, started my own data and analytics consulting company uh, where we went out and we helped small direct to consumer companies spin up the analytics function, hire out a team, uh, and really be set up for success. Uh, and that's really what led me over to Pair was the, the passion and the interest in kind of starting from square one and how do we really take an organization that has the appetite for data um, and the hunger to bring, you know, quality reporting and quality analysis to the table. And how do you actually scale that from the ground up? And how do you set an organization up for success really early on? Um, and so that that kind of passion and through consulting really led me over to Pair, um, which now, as you mentioned, uh, has been kind of my, my new project, um, scaling data and analytics here. Uh, for the future awesome awesome i know we, we've talked kind of prior to this but you know coming into such a fast growing space where obviously everyone's trying to either migrate to or set up that kind of modern data stack as we call it what, what would you kind of say has been the uh, biggest challenge going in as kind of as you said employee number one and and getting in place that kind of infrastructure platform and then subsequently the people to kind of deliver that incremental value, which I know obviously organizations like Pair are crying out for really. Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I think the the platform first is super important and is really ever-changing. And I think that's what really makes it difficult for, for many leaders in the space today. You know, I think if we looked even three years back, Looker was barely making an entrance into the market. Um, and now you'd be remiss to find a company that wasn't using Looker or exploring the opportunity of converting over. Um, and so I think really the hardest part in, in the platform side is staying up to date with the cutting edge tools. 
um, staying up to date with how you can actually mix and match different tools and really get the most out of them. Um, and so a great example for us is, you know, Stitch and Fivetran have become the go-to uh, connector solution, one-touch connectors. Uh, but what we started to find is that, that that taps out at a certain point. And so what we've had to do is really reevaluate and understand what is our need beyond what Stitch can support and what's a scalable way to do that. Um, and so we use a tool called Meltano, um, which just took a lot of research, uh, understanding of the industry um, for us to be able to spin something like that up. So I think on the platform side, you know, my biggest advice is, you know, stay close to the ground, uh, talk with your peers. I, you know, I talk with people in the industry all the time, uh, challenging my notions um, and really kind of always look for the new tool, whether it's, you know, another sales email that feels like you got to take a, yet another cold call. Um, you know, you never know which of those will be the next big thing. Um, and then, you, you know, you mentioned the people side, the people side is really big as well. The, I mean, Alex, you know, well, the industry is booming right now. And so the talent is uh, exceptional and, and hard to come by. Um, and so I think it just takes a lot of persistence to find the proper talent, to find partners, uh, to help source that talent. Yeah, I think it's a good point. Uh, yeah, as you rightly allude to, we're on the kind of cold face of of that. And I know the main objective of this kind of podcast was to set up for people looking to either break into this space, which, as you say, is, is growing at an exponential rate, or cross-train from like that kind of maybe classic data analyst role and become more technical in that analytics engineering role is obviously, well, in the last two years, Curtis of Fishtown has become, and DBT has obviously become that kind of uh, one of the fastest growing growth areas. And I guess for you, you, you touched on kind of the the sales call. There's, there's so many vendors, tools, technologies, platforms. How, how do you, as someone who's on the receiving end of those sales call, kind of do your own due diligence to actually decide is this going to be good for us to avoid maybe going down the rabbit hole and spending loads of time on kind of, uh, you know, trials and demonstrations and actually, how do you actually look at the end points? So what I mean by that is kind of, how is this going to deliver value? Is it, is it, because there's so much coming onto the market, isn't there? There's almost too much noise. How do you decide which ones to go with? Yeah. I mean, it's a great question. There is, there is, I think we're at the point, uh, where there is too much noise, it's really difficult. Um, and so what I, my approach is really, um, can I take one sales call a month? And so, you know, out of all of the vendors I'm getting, if I can just take one sales call a month, um, that is both attainable and something where I feel like I can designate, like put the time against it. Um, how do I actually choose that one? It's a great question. Um, it's generally in like the areas where I know that we're weaker in today. Um, and, and areas that I know that are also becoming bigger and bigger. And so for me, a big area there is, you know, GDPR, CCPA, the ever changing legal environment around data has become so important that when I hear from vendors in that space, that's what really piques my interest today. It's like, I know that that is coming. Um, and so we really focus on like, okay, how can I grab one of those vendors and, and hear them out? The other piece that I think is, is the most important in such a saturated space is, um, asking those around you, right. And getting customer testimonials. Um, and so before I sign any tool, I'll always speak with some, uh, one of their clients and talk to them about how did you actually implement this? 
um, outside of the textbook way, but really like in practice, what did it take to do it? And what impact did you really see on your team? Yeah, it's interesting and quite a valid point because I'm sure we'll get onto this, but when you're a new leader, a new person, you're effectively self, self-managing yourself. So these decisions you've got to kind of live and die with. So I'm guessing what you're a massive advocate of is networking, you know, speaking to people who have maybe gone through that journey and maybe made those mistakes and then actually looking at their, I suppose, taking their honest assessment. It's an interesting point. I know we've talked about this before, but the kind of um, the emphasis on kind of networking is somewhat overlooked, I think, and actually people want to make their own decisions without actually uh, speaking to other people in the space. So, and I know, you know, in terms of you coming in as this, kind of first leader the first kind of uh, person with analytics how how did you approach things so was it more around looking at the infrastructure than people or were you were you automatically tasked with trying to get people in what what, what was the, the the first approach really yeah so i mean the you know coming in the mandate was like build the data and analytics team right and so you know, what do you do with that? What does that mean? And, <laughs> Just go and, do that. <laughs> exactly. And so what I found is, you know, in the in the beginning part, not rushing was kind of my key. It was like, okay, let's let's take a breather here. Let's take a month and just understand where things are at. Where is the company at? What are where is the appetite at? Um, what are we trying to build here? And I think that was a really pivotal time for me to take a moment and say, like, what do we need to build? Um, and what I actually, the first thing that I created at pair was, uh, a mission and values statements for the data and analytics team. Um, and so for me, that's really the foundation. And I I think a lot of the times, you know, mission and value statements to me are, are, can go one of two ways. It can be very, um, cliche and kind of just using a lot of buzzwords and, you know, you don't get a ton of value, but it can also be really productive and focusing Um, and putting energy in a certain path. And so that was kind of step one is like, what are we trying to build? What is data and analytics here at Pair? And how do we do that? Um, And what are the things that really matter? And so the things that really mattered to me were, um, you know, building with the highest standard in mind. So how do we always make sure that we're we're having high quality output? Um, How do we ensure that we're always using data you know, as the forefront of our decision making, right? Like this is an objective um, decision based on the data. And and the last one that's really big for me is how do you have fun while doing it? Um, and those three things were kind of like the recipe for me to set the foundation. And then from there, as I built out, okay, what, what are we here to do? We were then able to layer on top and say, let's move stepwise through this. And it was a very kind of methodical approach of the foundations, which is like your warehouse, your ETL, um, what source systems you need and really building out that architecture before we even move into reporting and before we even move into analysis. And I think taking that stepwise approach allows you to gain the knowledge along the way without jumping and saying like, we need to do an analysis today. which my big pushback had always been, let's be measured about this. Let's take our time. Um, otherwise, you kind of jump way too far down the line and analysis isn't as impactful if nobody knows about the baseline understanding of the data. Yeah, 
I think that's really fair. It's, it's some interesting points you raised there, I think, putting those values in place. And do you then effectively hold anyone coming to a team, those are the values which intrinsically what you're measuring competencies on and you know and from a performance review standpoint so do those values kind of set in stone and effectively people coming in need to kind of adhere to those and kind of almost uh want to kind of embody those values is that is that did it also make it easier from a hiring standpoint it made it a lot easier from a hiring standpoint uh, you know these were things that i looked for in the hiring process as, as core competencies um, to your point, it also helped us build out our competency matrix. Um, these were things that I wanted to look for along the way for each individual coming in. Uh, and so I would say it definitely helped shape as like, who are you looking for to build out this team? Because we had such a clear vision as to what we were trying to do. Um, and I think that that what seems just like a values exercise can actually prove to have a lot more value uh, than you may think it would exactly to your point in hiring. Hugely. I, I also think companies um, overlook the importance of values. And, you know, even when we set up our business, we, we only had three values. I think you run the risk of having too many values and probably not knowing which one's the most important, but I, it does make it easier. Um, and if people are coming on board and they can relate to any of those values, then I think, again, it, it's going to make you a more interesting proposition. And I, in terms of you moving into this kind of almost player coach role where you were the first hire, you were obviously spending the first month getting the infrastructure ready before you even started to look at reporting and data analysis. How how easy was it and what steps did you take to strike that right balance of internal stakeholder management, managing up, you know, hiring and also doing, you know, the day to day of actually delivering value with data how, how did you do that yeah it's a it's a very hard balance to strike i'll say that um you know i, th I think you know you get a lot of advice moving into that coach role of you know the classic articles of like how do you give away your legos how do you delegate work how do you step back and get out of the weeds and i think those are all really valid and really important things to to mull over you know, I, I really think the best coach is also a player, though. And I think that's really where my um, philosophy may, may change from others. Um, you know, what I found is that in order for you to be the best coach possible, you need to understand what's going on and what the, what the players are doing. And you need to understand what it takes to kind of get any project moving, scoped, um, any analysis completed. And I think it's, it's very easy in moving to a coach role to lose sight of that quickly and to, to kind of get into the management mindset. Uh, and, you know, you see a lot of coaches out there that fall into the trap of, well, I'm a coach now. I'm not, I'm not an individual contributor, right? Like that is, that work is for an analyst or for someone on my team. I need to be focused on the high level stuff. And really my approach is I want to be right there in the trenches with the players. I want to, you know, take an analysis every now and then and work side by side um, or go really deep alone uh, and experience the same exact thing that I'm asking everyone on my team to do day in and day out. Um, and I think especially being at such a fast, small growing organization, 
we're all here to do that work and yeah. and you know nobody is above any of this work we're all here um trying to build a best in class team and you know we should be happy to do that together uh along the way yeah i think it's a really interesting point i think uh one thing i've seen certainly recently in this kind of market kind of realignment or turbulence whatever we want out calling it i think those that put themselves into those two strategic hands-off leadership roles become unfortunately a bit of an expensive cost as well so i think if they can still roll their sleeves up they are delivering value they can still um, step in then actually i'd like to think you're if you're always an analyst at heart you're going to still be able to add value even when you haven't got a large team around you so yeah i think it's a really interesting point and a lot of people listening to this will have aspirations set on management and leadership and it's not for everyone you get your kind of your career analyst engineers data scientists and that's absolutely fine not everyone wants to be a manager but in terms of people looking to step into management what kind of advice would you give them about uh, the steps that maybe either you took because you know as i alluded to earlier it's not it's not for everyone but if they were looking to follow that management route what 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 kind of advice would you offer up yeah you know i think when i think about it i think the one piece of advice um that i would have is you know along the way i think everyone everyone tells you be patient right be patient it'll come kind of like work through it and uh you know my advice is the opposite my advice is you know go out there and go get a breath of experience mm. um and i think you know what i've seen and, and what has really helped me in my career is being able to look at a problem from many points of view and so while i mentioned you know i started in in operations really I've now gotten the breadth of experience across all business verticals to now take a problem and, and look at it from so many different angles um, and really be able to think about it, you know, it's second order thinking uh, to get to a point where you're able to uniquely approach these problems and you're actually able to kind of guide that strategy. And so, you know, my advice to most people is, you know, find ways to challenge yourself outside of the data area, right? You're going to know your hard skills and the technical skills like SQL, uh, you know how to create decks, but where can you really challenge yourself to go deeper? How can you understand what your paid social uh, partner is actually doing on a day-to-day -day basis and how the Facebook algorithm works? Hmm. Or how can you understand how a 3PL on the logistics side is operating and the challenges they face day in and day out? Because those are the things that as are going to set you up for success. You're going to have a diverse skill set to bring to the table. Um, and you're not going to kind of be in one siloed area where it is. I know data and analytics. I know how to write SQL. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's, um, it's interesting because I think a lot of people will, they, they gravitate to their happiest point, don't they? You're either technical in the weeds looking down or they're managing up and delivering a, a group-wide strategy but actually to find that balance of the two is uh is tricky and there's someone i've uh, recruited for for a number of years and he always says that irrespective of level he will assess any level based on their are they an analyst at heart uh, and delivers a full technical case study irrespective that's right up to director senior director because they want to understand on your point earlier can they get in the weeds can they deliver some uh, some gravitas and some uh 
it's a reassurance to the team that you know what you're talking about because it's all well and good isn't it? you coming in and you know saying let's do this but if you're not leading from the front and showing let's do it together especially in a small company it's um it's a lot harder yeah i think you know i think it's key in the small companies where everyone should be expected to be able to do that and i, I love that idea of you know technical tests from analysts all the way up through senior directors uh you know if you're going to be here and you're going to lead the team uh we want to make sure that you know uh, exactly how the team works and, and their day-to-day as well. Exactly, exactly. And, uh, you know, obviously you've um, taken the steps to hire your first analytics engineer. I think it was, was it your first hire or your second hire in the team? Was it the first person you brought in? Was it, I'm trying to remember. Ours was uh, the second hire on the team. So it's very early on, isn't it? I think if you, if you think a lot of companies, they are now hiring analytics engineers. Actually, for you, it's almost the first person to bring in. I know how competitive that, that space is. Um, in terms of attracting in-demand talent to an organization, let's be honest, it's got a very small early stage analytics team. What steps did you take to kind of attract uh, people beyond you know what a lot of other companies do where they just pay a lot you know and they, they say actually you need people to join on your point earlier about the values the vision are we all singing from the same hymn sheet here do we have the same kind of vision what, what steps did you take because a lot of people listening here are making that first step into hiring um that analytics engineer and maybe maybe struggling yeah yeah it's a great question and you know to your point the the environment is you know, packed with opportunities, right? And of course, we know like the supply side um, is, is also short, but there's a, there's a ton of demand out there. And so how do you set yourself apart is really a great question, especially when, you know, any small company isn't going to have the money to throw that a big tech company would. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, if you're looking for money, you won't find that at these smaller companies. And so, what I've always kind of found as, as the guiding principle for me is how do we just bring a little fun to work, right? Everywhere you're going to be working and really the, the distinction is how do you work with really great people um, and how do you make the work fun and interesting? And so, you know, for me, the way that that looked hiring was you know, giving folks the opportunity to work on every vertical in the organization and guide the strategy, you know, work directly with our co-founders, work directly with our VPs to determine how does pair as a company pivot and change along the way based on the data, um, based on the analysis that analysts were doing. I think on, on top of that, uh, you know, the thing that I really like to do and the thing that, that we're working on here at pair is, you know, giving people a space to work on, interesting things outside of the day-to-day priorities. And so um, we've recently rolled out, you know, our Friday hack days. And so every Friday analysts will have two hours to focus on a project that they're really interested in. Um, And what we do is, you know, we make sure that those projects can have real meaningful impact on the business, but are just not the highest priority right now. This to me gives analysts another place to say like, I want to be at pair because I can also take two hours every Friday and work on something I'm super interested in um, and really grow from that. And so, you know, I I think it really comes down to, you know, how do you create a fun collaborative environment? Um, Since at the end of the day, 
all of this is work. Uh, so how do we make it just, you know, just a little bit different? No, I love that. And I, I know we've not discussed before, but do you think in the early stages, having people in an office, whether it be on a hybrid or whatever work arrangement they wanted really helps kind of bring that team together? Because there is obviously, you know, I've seen a lot in the market, there is a shift happening. I think there is post COVID certainly around the larger cities there is certainly some organizations who are looking for hybrid hybrid uh, vacancies are becoming more uh, more commonplace do you think actually that was also quite an important step for you because i know your guys do come in on a hybrid i know it's, it's pretty flexible but do you do that really help establish that culture and build that team yeah you know it's it's really interesting actually early on uh you know i I was looking really for in-person or for like that hybrid role um, to build that team out. And, you know, what I found after building out, you know, our first two roles was there are individuals out there that thrive in the virtual environment um, and actually like can perform at their, their peak by being in a virtual environment. And so, on our team today, actually, we have a we have a split between hybrid um, and fully remote now, uh, and so that was actually a, a really big shift in my mentality mm. to see that you know just because somebody is remote, it they're just as much able to participate in the culture to make the connections with people at the company. Um, you know, I think the biggest thing is is you really need to find those unique individuals who who can thrive there. Um, and who do feed off of that because I, you know, I think generally what we've seen is that shift back into hybrid into in-person because most individuals uh, will do better when they're live, when they have, you know, the quick conversations at the water cooler in the kitchen. Um, But it's been a really big shift for me actually as well, really seeing that there are individuals that, uh, that actually really enjoy the, the virtual, work environment yeah it's certainly interesting i don't know where where we're going to end up and uh there's a lot of kind of press has been made of the the larger players wanting people to come into an office and i think choice is important i think you otherwise you potentially will miss out on super talent if you're so hard and fast in the early stages there's you can't get away from the fact having people in and you know walking into office feeling a culture and feeling what people are doing you've got your different teams you've got your supply team you've got your hr team you've got your, and actually feeling what people are doing it's i find that's hard to deliver remotely um it's not impossible um and i think uh you know you're obviously in new york and it's a there's still a hive of activity for companies and people coming into offices so it'll be interesting to see i don't know where it's going to end up if i'm honest i I just know from experience we're getting more conversations around uh, hybrid, and actually candidates are saying, you know, I'd, I'd like to have some FaceTime. Or, you know, have they got an office? And you know, some candidates are actually turning stuff down. So it'd be interesting to see where this goes. And you know, we, we touched on analytics engineering, and I know it's become this huge buzzword and hugely important function for teams now and analytics teams. In terms of you know analysts looking to make that switch into analytics engineering who may not have come from a data engineering background, so that kind of, they're more kind of on the BI analysis side, strong SQL, strong Python. What, what advice do you give those? Because we get a lot of questions from people and say, look, I want to break into that space. What, what advice can you give those analysts for looking to switch into analytics engineering? 
Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I think there's the, the minimum requirement of the SQL side, right? Yeah. And I think that that's across the industry right now. But really, you know, I think the, the big thing to do as an analytics engineer is come in and, and really bring in that business focus and, and how does it relate to the business? Mm-hmm. And I think it's, we've kind of seen this shift to analytics engineering for a multitude of reasons, but, you know, one of the, the real benefits of it is that those folks are now really close to the business. They're working directly with our analysts. They're working directly with the business. Um, and so really what I've seen is that really successful analytics engineers are going to know the technical skills. Um, and there's so many tools out there today that, that have changed what the technical requirement is, right? It's pretty mm-hmm. rare that an analytics engineer will need to tap an API. Uh, we have tools like Fivetran and Stitch. Um, but you know, really where an analytics engineer can set themselves apart is if you understand the business side of things, you can be building the best product possible. And so a lot of analytics engineering work today is, you know, for us is a lot of LookML development, um, as well as DBT development, but that LookML development in order to create a sustainable and usable looker product, our analytics engineers are really focused on what does the business need? How do they look at data? What are they trying to get to? And then they're really able to build the, the best product possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, if you don't have that, that business mindset, you can easily fall down the path of, I'm going to expose everything, right? I'm a data person. Nobody, everybody should have as much data as possible. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, we've kind of gotten to the point now where we actually need it to be curated. And so while we want to democratize data as much as possible, we also want to curate it and give people a jumping point to start and an an easy entry point. And so I think that's really where, you know, the most successful analytics engineers lie is they're able to pair the business need with how do you now write complex code and scripts to be able to provide that to the business? Yeah, no, I think it's, uh, you probably hit the nail on the head there because I think what I spoke to someone on the podcast a few weeks back who is an analytics engineer in the big, she transitioned from data engineering uh, because she wanted to be closer to the business and working less on kind of infrastructure-esque type projects and more with the business and getting in front of people and understanding the kind of the business problem as opposed to just drowning them in reports and data is actually saying how can we really derive value from this pretty quickly. And I, I guess the million dollar question is now is what happens to data engineering? It's uh, What's your take on that, do you think, in terms of where, because I guess we're at this kind of, for the first time ever, a real pivot where data engineering is effectively being diced into two now. And, you know, a lot of people talk about data ops functions, a bit like ML has happened with ML ops. Do you see that transitioning to more of an infrastructure led type role? Yeah, I think that that's the future. You know, I, th- I think the, the tooling has gotten to the point now where in most modern stacks, the, the need for a, a true data engineer at least like a full-time data engineer starts to go away. You know, myself and our head of engineering have this conversation probably about once a month, which is like, do we need a data engineer? What would it look like? How could we do it? You know, something that we've settled on is, you know, building out our DevOps function, 
Um, and, and really our DevOps function has actually partnered really closely with our analytics engineering team mm. in helping on those more complex things. So for us, that's, you know, S3 build outs. Um, it's really thinking through custom API taps and DevOps has really been able to fill that gap for us. Um, listen, I, I think I'd be, it would be a miss to say data engineering will completely go away. I think there will always be a need. I think there's a lot of older companies that are still going to be using that and who need full custom solutions. But I think in the direct-to-consumer e-com space, I think we're going to see a lot less data engineers needed uh, going forward. Yeah. No, interesting. And I, uh, you know, watch this space, I guess. And will we have our first fully-fledged data ops, you know, that kind of hybrid DevOpsy, data engineering, role coming out this year or teams being built out like MLOps has and as you said it needs to be the right environment it needs to be the right size but uh, no Zach that's been uh, my absolute pleasure and uh, I'm sure people listening to this will uh, take a huge amount of value from that and uh, yeah I really appreciate your time and uh, yeah thanks so so much of course Alex anytime and you know happy to come on and, and share some knowledge awesome thanks very much Zach have a good one